Well, we love a World Cup here at the Top Water Podcast, and after a year's delay, the 2021 Women's World Cup is about to begin. And with the White Ferns playing so well recently and the tournament being right here in New Zealand, it's one we're especially excited to talk about. So to help us look ahead to the next month of action, we're delighted to welcome contributing writer at Locker Room, Canterbury Magician, World Cup Operations Coordinator, Clay Shooting World Championship Silver Medalist, NZ Match Manager, soon-to-be TV star, the list just goes on and on. Christy Havel, welcome to the Top Order Podcast. I don't think I've ever had such a good welcome. How's it going, team? Thanks for having me. Yeah, very good, very good. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Well, yeah, I mean, as we said, we're, we're sort of keen to, to deep dive into the, the White Ferns chances probably in, in um, the most part. But before we get to that, I'd be really interested to hear about your experiences as the match manager during that Black Caps, recent Black Caps test mainly to kind of give us a sense of the match day experience because, you know, with limited fans, did the pods of crowds work? Was there an atmosphere? Yeah, so what what was it kind of like? Yeah, I think, you know, whenever I tell anyone that I match manage, they always sort of say, oh, God, what does what does that mean? And essentially, you're the, the person who goes into the changing rooms and, and the tunnel and gets everything set up for the players and the teams and the match officials, and then you're essentially... Not their servant or their slave, but you know anything that they request during the day, you try and um, and give it to them. So more drinks, more towels, more ice, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes you get a few odd requests, um, but essentially, if you barely have anything to do during the game, you've done your job fairly well. If they if they don't need you, so um, in terms of the match day experience, I thought the pods went quite well actually. Um, we had eight pods around the ground, including a couple of marquee tents. And I think if the first couple of days they were definitely all sold out, so it still had a good vibe about it. Uh, particularly with Matt Henry, Henry Nichols, Tim Southey, you know, the Hagley faithful love love the Black Caps and love seeing them do well, especially any milestones. So definitely still a good atmosphere. And I think actually the people that went it was almost not an even better experience but obviously there's no cues there's no um messiness or um you know uncomfortably close people or drunk people passing out beside you um so i think i think everyone really enjoyed themselves well that sounds all to the good and we hope that the main focus during the upcoming tournament the world cup is going to be all about the great cricket on the field, but we probably have to talk about some of the implications of COVID as it changes hour by hour, day by day here in New Zealand and its effect on the World Cup. I mean, we've already seen Brooke Holiday have to sit out the back end of a White Fern series because she's a close contact and that has now changed in the last 24 hours and will change again Friday New Zealand time. Can we get you to put your operations coordinator and, and match manager hat on now and run us through a couple of the logistical kind of things that New Zealand cricket and the organising committee are having to do to get rid of this, uh, to get ready for this tournament. Um, you know, there's talk about limiting movement around the country and there's another release from the ICC today. Can you run us through some of those kind of logistical um, things that the ICC are putting together for this tournament? Yeah, uh, it's definitely been a huge challenge. I mean, that's putting it lightly. I'm, I'm pleased that I'm, you know, just down at the bottom of the food chain looking after Canterbury Cricket's operations and, and not at the top tier making the big decisions. But as you say, a big few changes. I think the first one would be um, that teams are flying by charter planes, um, which is, you know, a, a big change in itself. You know, 
the general public may not even realise that a World Cup's going on because they're not seeing teams striding through the airports with their kit bags and whatnot, and you sort of see them all in their tracksuits and you think, oh, something's going on. Um, in terms of in terms of trainings and matches, it's it's a shame because part of the the match day experience is is the the locals that you get to interact with as a player, and and that starts you know at the trainings with people like myself who set up and pack up and and um, fetch and grab anything during because you can actually have some good yarns with the players and the support staff and you know maybe they give you free bits of kit that they don't need or are broken or are too small or ripped or anything like that and so you can you can often walk away with a good bunch of goodies um, but also for the the changing room assistants um, so they're you know helpers essentially but it's such a good experience for young people to get into a dressing room and 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 get that experience as to you know the inner workings of a team on match days so um, unfortunately uh, changing room assistants and uh, myself and all personnel really aren't allowed anywhere near players or match officials which takes away that really unique experience but at the end of the day we want as many players available for selection as possible um, which then probably goes on to the the announcement today from the ICC about uh, nine aside teams I don't know if you saw it but um, I might I might just um, go off on one here, but I think it's a terrible rule. Like, I, I get it. I get nine aside, and then obviously the rule is, you know, you can have two female support staff as fielders only. And I get it. You know, you got to come up with something. But at the same time, very few female support staff work with women's cricket teams um, because there's not many female coaches going around and then they're certainly not getting opportunities with international teams. So often your female support staff are either your managers, your media managers or your team liaison officers, which are essentially the locals that help the teams navigate around the country. Um, and they're three of the busiest roles on the support staff during the actual game. Um, so... You know, fielding in an international cricket game is not something that everyone's prepared to go out and do. I mean, uh, God, if I was on someone's support staff, even I'd be feeling a little bit apprehensive about it. Um, so I think it's I think it's a bonkers rule. I can see where they're coming from, but God, I hope it doesn't have to be used because you can bet your bottom dollar that we would not see that in a men's World Cup. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, an opportunity for the ICC to get a World Cup on in New Zealand, and it looks like they're going to try and get all of the games on come hell or high water, which, let, you know, let's hope that the weather doesn't play a part and, and that everyone can stay relatively safe. We have had successful cricket being put on, of course, India against um, New Zealand in Queenstown without fans, but they've been putting on a show. Uh, runs galore, contributions from everywhere on both sides, really. And may, most importantly, maybe from a White Ferns perspective, they've been racking up the wins. They've struggled to do that in recent times but they've been playing against some two reasonably good sides in in Australia and England for a lot of the time can you help us put these performances from the White Ferns in context against India they've just come off uh, a loss in this last ODI but a reasonably comprehensive series victory and of course you know a few players missing from today's game as well what should we make of that as New Zealand White Ferns fans coming into the World Cup I think it's huge I think this has to be celebrated, this series win, because, you know, the media have been so good the last few years commenting on the White Ferns' horrific ODI record the last couple of years. So it's, 
We've got this under our belt, a 4-1 win over India, who are title contenders in themselves, is, is huge. And I think to generate a lot of a lot more interest in this World Cup, particularly now that there'll be limited crowds, the White Ferns had to do well in this series because if it was headed for another, you know, 3-1, 4-1 or 5-1 loss in, in, in you know, against our favour, you know, people may have just switched off before the World Cup had even started. So, you know, it's it's understandable that India was slow out of the blocks. Uh, you know, we talk and talk and talk about the effects of MIQ, but, I mean, it, it definitely takes its toll in terms of the length of time it takes for players to get up to speed. And then we finally saw today the India that we know and love watching when they put out their strongest lineup and the likes of Smriti Mandana, Harman Prekor, uh just, you know, resumed old business and just went about things. So... Um, yeah, a loss today, a bit unfortunate, we weren't at our best, but India were very good, and it's a good reminder that to go all the way at the World Cup, you've got to be on your on, on your game from game one. And we saw a lot of runs in that series, do you think that that's something we can kind of expect from, from the whole tournament? Yeah, I think the ground staff looked like they did a perler job preparing a great couple of wickets down there in Queenstown, you know, they used two wickets across six matches, including the T20 as well, and and there were, you know, there was a lot of runs in those wickets, and and we've seen through World Cups the last few years that the amount of runs uh, scored each World Cup, the average total is sort of going up and up and up as the wickets get better and the players get better. So um, I can't remember off the top of my head what the average total was in England, but it, I think it was perhaps around about two twenty, two thirty, and in this series we were seeing well up in the two seventies. So. I think around the country, you know, I think we'll see plenty of good wickets, certainly at Hagley, Bay Oval, uh, Hamilton, Auckland, the Basin, and Dunedin. You know, the ground staff will be working hard to, to make sure that there's something in it for everyone and, and that um, it's a good showcase of women's cricket. And um, and Baldy mentioned earlier, just uh, for the White Ferns, there's been contributions from kind of all up and down that lineup. There's been a bit of shuffling around with the batting order a, a tiny bit and the bowling attack's been rotating a lot. Do you think they now have a, a good idea of the first choice playing 11 or, or do you think there's still quite a few spots up for grabs as we go to that opening game? I think it's on the 4th of March we had against the West Indies. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the White Ferns, they've actually adopted a bit more of an um, aggressive approach with their batting this series in terms of um, you see it often in T20s, but not as much in one day as when you send in a pinch hitter higher up the order to really try and move things along. So we saw it with Leah Tahuhu, we saw even Jess Kerr jumping up a few places to try and, and sh- shuffle things along a wee bit. So um, I think, obviously, that top four speaks for itself, you know, Divine, Bates, Kerr, Satterthwaite. But five downwards, five through eight, I think um, it'll probably just depend on the makeup with you know, whether we go a pace-strong attack, you know, whether there's room for, for Frankie Mackay and Hayley Jensen as both all-rounders in the same lineup. So it could go either way. I think I think they're still finding their way. And, and as we saw, I think, you know, it was a matter of who was available um, these last couple of games. Unfortunate today, uh, Lauren Down, I am hearing that her hand is now in plaster after injuring her thumb, taking the catch at point. Uh, early on today so um, I don't know how bad it is um, but I would imagine that if she's ruled out for the tournament then that could allow 
probably the likes of Jensen and Mackay to play a lot more um, to fill batting and bowling. Oh, that'd be a real shame for her, especially because I mean we just saw what what she can do earlier on in that in that series. It's um, and she's someone who kind of has performed really well in domestic cricket the last couple of seasons and, and not really had her too many white ferns opportunities. So yeah, hopefully hopefully there's a good outcome there. But you mentioned that that top four. Do you think that um, Sophie Devine will stay opening the batting now? It seems like at some point they were trying to um, shuffle her into the middle order maybe to try and strengthen that middle order. But now that in this series, at least, the middle order's been very strong. And, um, you know, there have been a couple of situations where they've been two or three down for, for not many, and the middle order's got them up to those big 270 scores. Yeah, I think now that everyone's available, um, Divine is probably at her best against the new ball. It's what she's used to, and I think actually they had a graphic up on Spark Sport the other day of um, her average and her strike rate, and those statistics by batting position and opening was her strongest so I think it's probably her best spot I know that they sort of dropped her down uh, on the tour of England last year but we also didn't have Kerr um, over there so I think they tried to lengthen that out a wee bit but with the middle order firing I would imagine Devine will stay at the top. And uh, you just mentioned Millie Kerr there. I mean, look, it's it's pretty tempting to get very, very excited about what she's done in this series. I mean, particularly her batting. I mean, obviously the promise has always been there, but before this series she had 100 and 250s from 30 games, and now last four games she's got 103.50s rattling off, you know, just rattling them scores off. I mean, at this point we should probably also give a shout-out to, to you and the an amazing article that you put together with Amelia on in Locker Room in December. I think we'll we'll put that link in the show notes for anyone who hasn't read that because, yeah, I mean, yeah, really brave and, and awesome for Amelia to just talk so openly like that about her mental health. Um, and, and well done to you for kind of sharing st- that story in such an impactful way. But, I mean, you know, have you noticed a change in her as a player this season? Like, are we witnessing... The leap for her is where she's just in this conversation as the best all-rounder in the game. You know, the likes of Tali McGrath, Nat Siva, Marazan Cap. Is she kind of on that level now? Yeah, I definitely think she's well on her way. We saw earlier in the week she jumped up the the ICC all-rounder rankings and I think she'll go through the roof again after another strong couple of games. So, you know, I think, um, and, and it definitely is exciting, easy to get excited about the series from her because it was history breaking the amount of records and milestones she notched up was incredible so you know it shouldn't it should be celebrated um you know and and we enjoy it and appreciate it for what it was because it was just sublime cricket um in terms of that change I think you know she worked bloody hard over the winter you know crickets she's always said that cricket is her safe space and, and it's where she's happiest when she is struggling, um, it's never she she feels that it's never burdened her on field performance because cricket is her happy place, and when she's out on the field, that's where she's at peace with everything. So, but I think, you know, in your subconscious, if you are happy and healthy off the field, that does make things a lot easier on the field as well. So I think it's a combination of her hard work. Uh, in the nets and and uh, out out in the middle, but also all the hard work she's doing um, with her support crew as well to to get herself to a hundred percent and and we're obviously seeing the fruits of her labour now. But 
you know, I have a feeling that this won't be a flash in the pan. You know, we will finally, and I shouldn't even say finally because she's now, she's only 21. She's still got probably a good 15 years in her if she wants to. But I think we'll definitely start seeing more and more from her um, as, as the months and years tick by. Let's pan out now and have a look at some of the other teams in this tournament. So it's my role on the Top Order podcast, uh, Christy, to do the explainers. So there's eight teams for anyone following along. There's New Zealand, Australia, England, India, South Africa, the West Indies, Pakistan and Bangladesh. They'll all play round-robin format. Everyone plays each other once. Top four go into the semifinals and they'll fight for the opportunity to play under lights at Stu's favourite ground in the world, Hagley Oval, April the 3rd. So... Let's start with the hot favourites. Australia are going into the tournament hot favourites and also aiming to avenge a loss in the semi-finals in the 2017 edition of the of the tournament to India. So should Australia be raging hot favourites and, and who else should we be talking about as contenders for this World Cup? Australia definitely are favourites. Their ODI record is disgustingly good uh, since 2018, as you say. I think they've... How many ODIs have they played? Maybe... It's close to 30, and I think they've only lost once or twice. I mean, there's a phenomenal, phenomenal amount of, of you know, winning games. That, does, that doesn't make sense, but, you know, they are they're so good, and it, it's, it scares me a little bit because, you know, as Kiwis, there's nothing worse than when Aussies win World Cups. So um, it was when we filmed the, the vodcast yesterday for the World Cup, Jimmy and I both said, you know, anyone but Australia uh, can win this World Cup, <laughs> as far as we're concerned. And we told Nicola Carey that when we interviewed her. We said, yeah, you know, anyone but Australia will be on board with it. So she thought that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, Australia definitely deserve to be favourites. They're a class unit. Uh, their record shows it. Um, it pains me to say it, but yes, they do deserve to be favourites. But I think... In terms of everyone else, I think this is probably the strongest tournament we've had ever. Um, not just you know our girls, England and India that could could make the semi-finals, but also you know South Africa, West Indies, both very strong sides that could topple anyone on their day as well. And you know Pakistan and Bangladesh coming into their own. The more opportunities they have at this level, the better. It's actually Bangladesh's first ever one-day World Cup for the woman, so they're very excited and looking forward to, to giving it heaps. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that long ago that we were talking about West Indies as one of the powerhouses of, of women's world cricket. You know, Stephanie Taylor, one of the best players in the world, they're down number seven now in the ICC rankings. And then on the other hand, South Africa are on their way up, but we haven't really much heard much buzz about South Africa. So what can we make of those two sides in particular trying to fight it out with New Zealand, with England and with India in terms of, and Australia obviously, um, as contenders for those semi-final spots? Yeah, as you say, I mean, both both teams are absolutely littered with world-class players. Like, uh, you get the likes of Marazan Kat, Lizelle Lee, Mignon Dupreer, um, Laura Wolvart. You know, South Africa have some gun players who do the rounds of the franchise leagues as well. So they've all played a lot of cricket and been in a lot of pressure cooker situations. So, um, and same with the West Indies. You know, you've got Dotton, Hayley Matthews, uh, Stefani Taylor, uh, some brilliant players so if they can knit it all together on the day as with any team uh, anything can happen um, it'll just be that matter of 
you know, it's always that thing as to whether they fire or not. You know, it's, it was a bit like us, probably pre this India series, heavily reliant on Bates, Divine, Satterthwaite. But I think we've now sort of extinguished that a wee bit with those all-round sort of individual contributions that we talked about. Same with uh, England and Australia and India, they've got that depth, whereas South Africa and the West Indies could be quite reliant, but, you know, those players are class in themselves and are match winners in their own right. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, West Indies and South Africa actually had a good contested series between themselves pre-coming out here. So, And the West Indies, I think it was fairly even. Uh, I think can't quite remember who got the win in the end, but it was very well contested. So they'll also be, be looking forward to, to getting out there and, and tipping some people up, that's for sure. And you sort of touched on it um, in some of your answers, but obviously it certainly feels like the the women's game is in, in massive growth at the moment. Um, you talk, you know you talked about it being the strongest World Cup. I mean, I guess can can you put your finger on what, why that is happening? And um, I suppose from a New Zealand point of view, I think that um, you might have even touched on in one of the articles that I read it that um, around how you know they saw that that 2000 World Cup win and that kind of inspired a lot of younger girls to start playing the game and I suppose Spark Sport now is in um, is showing a lot of women's cricket domestic cricket is it all down to just being able to see more cricket yeah I, I strongly believe you know it's the exposure you know the last uh, 10 years that has really helped women's cricket come along leaps and bounds I mean it's only been I think it was only the last World Cup that every game was actually televised. Um, so it's taken a long time for things to get to this point. But, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, one day in T20 domestic cricket streaming in England and Australia. Uh, we're obviously seeing, you know, domestic cricket live on Spark Sport every game this season, which was the first time that had happened. And if you said to us, you know, five years ago, oh, you're going to play every game on TV would be like, no way, you're absolutely dreaming. Um, so I think people forget that women actually make up half of the population in the world. Um, people say, oh, you know, we don't we don't really want to invest in women's sport, but, you know, we do make up half of the population, and, and that's a lot of revenue that can, you can bring in if you tap into and, and activate that market. So it's awesome to see that finally happening, um, and it would be nice to, you know, that, if people aren't able to to get to the, along to the games this World Cup, that they at least just turn on the telly, whether it's even in the background, and get those those viewing numbers up would would still be would still be helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, speaking as I don't know, two men here that have, you know probably haven't been able to to watch a lot of women's cricket in the past. I've yeah, I've really really enjoyed the the product over the last couple of years that we're that we're getting from New Zealand domestic cricket. So yeah, here here that we see more of that. Um, and look, I guess we'll kind of round out our um, the podcast here with sort of a, a bit of a rundown about, um, you know, looking at a, an overview of the tournament. I'm going to get all these answers here as well, and, and I might chip in with a, a few of mine. But we'll, we'll start with we'll start with you. So, which players are you most looking forward to to watching in this tournament? Um, just as a whole, or. Uh... Yeah, just as a whole package. Yeah, whole. Yeah, it can be anyone in the in any of the teams. Oh, tough gig, isn't it? Um, I think if you look at who the best 
player in the world has been over the last six months, you'd have to say Talia McGrath from Australia. I mean, the performances she's been churning out since September against India and then in the Ashes were just phenomenal. So I think, you know, this World Cup, I think, is her first sort of major event since... um, since her career resurgence, I guess so. I'd be I'll be really interested to see how that goes. Um, who else? I'd love to see Shafali Verma from India, the, the young opener. I'd love to see her do well. She can hit a ball a long way and did very well for India um, in in the T Twenty World Cup last time out. So I'd love to see her, you know, make that make that switch into the one day format as well and go big too. Um, Baldy, I'll throw to you in a second, but it, for me, it's it's Sophie Devine. I, I really want to see her. I mean, you'll you'll probably get a sense that quite a few of my answers will probably be New Zealand, very New Zealand biased. But I, I really want to see her um, just explode. And you know, we see it in all of the the T20, uh, particularly in the T20, but all the domestic leagues that she you know that she plays in Super Smash, BBL, and you know, she's just such a dominant force in those leagues and I just really want to see it see it happen on on the biggest stage of all it would be you know obviously play a big part in New Zealand doing well as well but um yeah I would, I would love to see that but Baldy how about you oh look it's going to be no surprise that uh, the couple of players that I want to be watching uh, one of them will be Alana King of course the Australian league spinner she's earned caps <laughs> in all three formats in like the space of two weeks so she's burst onto the scene. Of course, no Georgia Wareham in the Australian squad, I believe. So Alana King will probably be first choice leg spinner alongside Jess Jonathan in that Australian spin contingent. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what what she can do. Um, I always like to, to watch Tammy Beaumont. Uh, my sister is a big, big Tammy Beaumont fan, so it would be remiss of me not to give her a shout-out. Uh, she's a tremendous player for England. But in terms of strictly... Um, neutral perspective I'm interested to see how Elise Perry goes in this tournament because she is one of the biggest names in women's world cricket she's one of the biggest players to ever play in terms of her performances on the field but she's just been a little bit quiet of late so I'm looking for forward to seeing whether or not on the biggest stage Elise Perry kind of comes to life and, and bursts onto the World Cup and really dominates because she's got all of the talent in the world to be able to do that but the runs and the wickets haven't been quite on the board as frequently as we have come to expect from her. So I think Elise Perry will be must-watch, must-see viewing uh, throughout this tournament. Well said. See, see, I'm just trying to be impartial. Obviously, I would love to see Divine whack 200 off 100. That'd be outstanding. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, you don't have to be impartial at all. We've got an Australian on the call. You, you can be as, as parochial as, as you want. So who do you think will be the, the leading run scorer and the leading wicket taker in the tournament? Um, I've you know, obviously I have I would love to you know, have my heart set on a couple of the Kiwi girls dominating both. Um I've settled on I've settled on a spinner. I can't go past the spinners for top wicket taker, so I've gone uh Deepti Sharma from India. Very good, likely to play every game, which always helps when in these types of statistics. But very canny off-spinner. Um, India, obviously, a very heavy spin attack. But she's been brilliant in this, this series with bat and ball against us um, and is only going to get better and better as we progress further into March and particularly up the North Island when those tracks might be a little bit drier. So I think she's going to... India could go a long way in the tournament, and I think she's probably going to take a lot of wickets along the way. 
and uh, and over to you, Baldy. Wow. I have to go with a spinner, don't I? I have to go with a leg break bowler. Look, Amelia Kerr's got the best wrong in world cricket. She's got the best wrong in world cricket, men's or women's. I'm, I'm predicting that she, everything goes through her in terms of New Zealand's bowling effort. She's so instrumental to the way that they set up their both their defence and and when they and when they're trying to you know bowl sides out when they when when they're chasing. So, I think Amelia Kerr leading wicket taker, and I'm predicting Tammy Beaumont to be the, the top run scorer in the tournament for England. Yeah, I, I was going to say Tammy Beaumont for for the run scorer as well. I just think she's been such a um, yeah. She, I, it's been great watching her over the last um, twelve months. We've kind of seen her. I mean, obviously her whole career, but I think for um, from our perspective, we've just had England on TV a bit more in the last twelve months. And, and yeah, I yeah, she's she's awesome to watch. And the the leading wicket taker, you it's probably no surprise to you, Christy, that we're both spinners as well. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go spin uh, with with Jess Johnson. Um, yeah, as much as uh, yeah, I don't like cheering for the Australians. I, I just you know she's just a, a class class bowler, and um, you know like likely they're likely to go deep in the tournament. And um, yeah, as you say, Chrissy, that kind of kind of helps in terms of um, picking these these results. Yeah, I think I I think for my top run scorer, I'm going to go a left hander because um, God, they're just so nice to watch. Um, it was a toss-up, but I think I'm going to go Beth Mooney. I just think if that girl can come back from a, a well, can play with a broken jaw and hit the ball that well, I shudder to think how she's going to go when it's fully healed. So um, I'm also hoping that by me not mentioning any of the white ferns, I'm jinxing all these people that I'm mentioning, commentators curse, and the white friends are just going to storm through and wipe the floor of everyone. So that's my logic by not um, singling anyone out from their team. <laughs> well, we might might run into some trouble here then because we want to know who your semi-finalists are and then who will be lifting the trophy on, on the 3rd of April. Uh, semi-finalists, Australia, England, New Zealand, India. And Michael? Well, I can't go past Australia, England, New Zealand. I think New Zealand will do very well at their home World Cup. I think they're in the semi-finals. Then it's a race between South Africa, the West Indies, and India for that last spot. And I just, I just fancy that there might be a bit of an upset. You know, I might have South Africa, I think, in that last spot. But you could convince me that it could be any one of those three, Stu. Yeah, I have to pick New Zealand, of course. But I think for the fourth team, I'm probably going to go with India over South Africa and, and mainly probably because I've seen India play a lot more in recent times. Like um, South Africa, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what they can do because they've had so many players at the moment playing so well in these T20 leagues around the world. And like, like we talked about before, they're making their way up the ICC rankings. So I'm really keen to see if they're the real deal when they hit the big stage. But um, at this point, I, I just probably don't have enough information about them uh, to to tip them over a side like India who, you know, not that long ago beat Australia in an ODI and, and they're the, the team that we think is the team to beat or is or have you got someone else for us uh, to win the whole tournament? I haven't haven't played out the, the tournament in, in terms of like looking at the draw and results and how that shapes up the top four so I haven't um, played out the different scenarios as to who might play who in the semi-finals but I think, oh, if the White Ferns make the semi-finals, I think, I don't think we'd want to play Australia. I think we'd fancy ourselves against England or India for sure, but Australia would be a big ask. 
It is prediction time, though. We've got to get you off the fence. I know it's hard to say, but is it Australia? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go balls to the wall, and I'll say the White Ferns. <laughs> I'll break my my um, my impartiality. You know, I think. You know what? I'm a big fan of of fate and of history repeating itself. And I think you know what? I'd love nothing more than to see Sophie Devine lifting the trophy at, as you say, it is indeed the home of cricket. Um, yeah, no, why not? If you make the finals, anything can happen. Yeah, as much as I want to go against Baldy here and say the White Ferns, I think, you know, if I'm going to make a prediction, I just have to stick with Australia. It's just given their amazing ODI record that you mentioned just before, Christy. I mean, the numbers just suggest that they're one of the best cricket sides of all time, men or women, so it's just really hard to, to tip against them, as, as we said, in a tournament where everyone plays everyone. And, yeah, you know, let's just swiftly move on from that prediction and um, head back to the White Ferns. Just finally, what do you think will count as a pass mark for them? Because if we think back to the 2015 World Cup, the last kind of World Cup big tournament we had here in New Zealand, it was such a, a, a buzz around that men's side as they went f- further and further in that tournament. And it feels like, particularly in this tournament, where the, there's not going to be as many fans, we're not going to be able to get as close to the players as uh, as we did in, rec- in, in that 2015 tournament, what do you think the White Ferns are actually going to have to do on the field to kind of create as much excitement, uh, perhaps, as, as in that 2015 World Cup? Pass mark, I think, would have to be the semi-finals. I think if they don't make that, then that's a big... That's a big... Uh, failure is a, a tough word, but it would be, wouldn't it? I mean, home World Cup, um, coming off a series win, they've world-class players. I mean, heck, if you look at that, if you look at our strongest eleven. It is, on paper, one of the best lineups in the world. So they do have the team for it. So I think anything less than the semi-finals would be a huge disappointment, not just for the country, but for the girls themselves, because they know that that they can do it. And Christy, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on. We've really enjoyed you know, chatting through this World Cup, and, and um, yeah, we're really fizzed up about it. But before we let you go, can you tell the listeners uh, a bit about where they can find you and all your work? Um, I think, as we mentioned, you, you've got the the stuff on Sky, Sky Sport coming up pretty soon. Uh, it's, we're recording this on a Thursday night here in New Zealand time, and I think by the time this podcast comes out, a few of those episodes will possibly already be on Sky or in, in the podcast realms. But, yeah, if you can fill everyone in on uh, on where they can find you and, um, and what you might be up to for the rest of the, the tournament. Yeah, um, I'll be putting something out for Locker Room Weekly throughout the World Cup, which I've already started, um, so you can track through those if you like. Um, I've also got uh, a weekly column with stuff starting uh, tomorrow as well. So, sorry, that being Friday. Um, So that'll be weekly through the World Cup too. um, And the video podcast with Jimmy Neesham will be um, released every day for about a week all seven episodes um, online on the locker room website any podcast streaming platform and then also on sky sport as well so seven episodes don't bother looking me up on instagram because i'm a private account so i'll just decline you unless i like you um you can find me on twitter i think i'm at Havel Christie, with some fairly boring marginal sports chat at times i think in terms of what uh twitter dishes up on a daily basis, I think you're on the, the upper echelon of, of Twitter accounts. So 
uh, yeah, certainly everyone should should give Christy a follow and, and listen to uh, and read all her stuff uh, over the next month or so because it's going to be jam-packed with content and, uh, yeah, super excited, as we said, for this World Cup. So, yeah, thanks again, Christy. I hope you uh, enjoy the tournament and, uh, yeah, go White Ferns. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me and hope you, you, you all enjoy the tournament as well.